Yeah, here. We're fine. It should be all and he was like what about? Yeah, the guy just has idea after idea terrible after idea. idea they were like we Why did are we that filming on camels in the middle of the desert <laughs> yeah. like what the fuck are we talking yes, about that guy also that dude i think um i'm almost positive just just by watching that room he was the dude you know every day they were coming in and the, the newspapers they were like how are they what are they He's writing the one them i'm almost yeah. a thousand percent that there were Everybody in that room was also leaking to the press, which was also yeah. a big issue. Was his name Mike, maybe? Yeah, I think his name was Mike. And I think he was, they say early on in episode one that he's like the liaison. Or I don't, yeah, he's like the assistant for Beatles Corps. There. Yeah, he's something weird. Label. Luca, can you look this up for us? Can yeah. we do a fact check? While Luke does that, I'd like to say welcome to Get in the Garage. Yeah, we're in media res here. Yes, uh, we're this, this episode. Is about the Beatles and other things. And but we're going to start things. off with the Beatles first. Yeah, so we're going to be discussing episode one of The Beatles Get Back, the new miniseries that's available on Disney+. Plus. Um, executive produced, directed, I guess, maybe, and put together by Peter Jackson and his team. Yep. Um, we watched episode one, because I don't have ten hours to watch all three <laughs> in one weekend. <laughs> what was the running time of episode one, you said? I think it was two hours and 45 minutes. Oh, my God. It was definitely over two and a half hours. Um, and for those who don't know, this was uh, this is some found footage, documentary footage. I think it was like 55 hours of video, 160 hours of audio uh, that was recorded during the two-week period where the Beatles were rehearsing and writing music to put a special together, um, which ended up being the famous rooftop concert that got shut down by the police halfway through and then went on to be the Beatles uh, what is, what's the actual Let It Be album mm. yes um, and it is the last album released by the Beatles when the album was finally released but it was not the last that they worked on Abbey Road was recorded after this stuff yep um, it's good though episode one yeah, it's 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 fun to see how a band works and the who directs and who kind of stares off into the middle distance and doesn't know how to play a fucking G major chord, <laughs> like, <laughs> or who plays the same drum beat on every idea that's suggested. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was fun to to get into it. I feel like. You don't really start getting into the weeds until the very end of episode one. Oh, it's weedy. It, it's weedy for the lead. beginning, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it all kind of comes to a head at the end. Yeah, yeah. So the... the cool. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, could we just start off by um, getting a general... Since we covered the last waltz last week and there was like, yeah. quite a bit of drugs in that movie. Uh, what substances do you think people are on in this movie? I just think a lot of coffee. Oh, I think Paul McCartney's... Uh, High as a kite because he keeps. I don't know if so. you know this, but he keeps getting up, and he said he's like, "Oh, not in, not in front of the camera." They keep going off to smoke weed, oh. not on camera. Oh. So I kind of noticed that Paul is definitely smoking weed. John and Lennon seemed like he was on uppers the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> because I think he's on heroin. 
That's what I think uh, he's doing. So he's doing. Oh, green- John. He's yeah. doing greenies during the day to keep himself balanced. That's what I think because he's late every single day. He's like not just like and like he's not just like an hour late. He's like two hours late every day. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I was pretty high last night, and like there's some like yeah. so. I that's what my, my first. I don't know. That's when I was like watching this. I was like, oh, I want to see if they like what, show. What, what drug was George Harrison on other than natural sadness? <laughs> <laughs> Indifference. <laughs> Indifference. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. It, so part one is days one through seven. Yeah. Um, they get to Twinkenham Studios, basically yeah. to just prepare for this show television special mm-hmm. that they're going to record, and it all falls apart, and it's fantastic. But you do yeah. see who has what role in the band. Oh, very. Paul clearly. McCartney is steering the ship, baby. Very clearly. Yeah, I think, but I think because he has to. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Ringo's just like sad clown, like <laughs> Ringo's looking there. at nothing. See, I think Ringo is is just like because this is where I saw Ringo. I saw sure. Ringo as you're the dude who's there to play the drums, right? And you're watching Paul McCartney, one of the great, and John Lennon write songs. So if you're there. How much are you gonna interject in there? That's my thing. Oh yeah, I, just exist. Yeah, because I'm sitting there time. and I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't say shit either. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, yeah, it's almost like if you interject, it's almost because it's like what George Harrison is happening to George Harrison when they're doing that. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. when he gets upset. But oh, Ringo, you have an idea what we're gonna sing a song about? Psychedelic sea creatures. Shut yes. the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to sing lead on this song? I'll sing the song like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think the, the, the surprising thing was how game that John Lennon is to just like, let's try ideas, man. Yeah. He's happy. The whole, all, all of episode one, he's pretty happy and he's just like, kind of a little crazed happy at times but he is like yeah let's do your song and i'll add on harmonies or i'll play a little guitar lead or whatever like i'll play bass if you want me to play bass like yeah really not like i'm not doing that and he seems to be like kind of giving fuel to the fire with like coming up with ideas for words and and that's i think especially at the end of the beatles partners uh band that's how their partnership was which was like one dude wrote a song 90% of the way and the other one was like well why don't we change this line or add this in the bridge or like add this little thing which is important because those little things make it I I agree too I like how like um like Lennon is almost like when Paul's like trying to like do something he's like being like keeping the air super goofy Mm -hmm. and like light and he's like, okay, like, you know, he's like being the comedic heir for the room. Well, I feel then... like he has to be with the black hole that's sitting there holding the Les Paul sitting on the amp, man, because George again, Harrison though, is just like. Again, though, so with that, situ- off. that situation, though, you you give somebody all things must pass complete, right? And then Paul McCartney's just like, yeah, that's not good. I don't think that's good. Like, pretty much yeah. just shuts him down, gives him like five five things that he doesn't like about it. And then they're all like, yeah, but he does say, I think it's less of this isn't good, but more like, George, we're like doing our first live show in five years and it's supposed to be this rock and roll special. We're not going to like sit down and play this sad acoustic song for three minutes. It doesn't make sense. But at the same time, though, Paul's bringing in 
The long and winding road. Yeah, but which is a sleeper of all sleepy Beatles tunes. Like, yeah, but it's also it has a chord progression. It's not like three chords. Right. But yeah. and the, also yeah. All Things Must Pass, pretty great song. It's the title track. Of I think it's chal- it's the, the the thing that you see is the challenging I, I, of the ego. I didn't see him play "All Things Must Pass." Yeah, plays the whole thing. And uh, oh, I thought he played Lennon's Lennon sitting on the um on the keyboard doing the keyboard changes, uh, doing the organ thing. Gosh, I don't remember and that he gives one. Him, they, he gives him the whole thing. He lays out all things was past. Like I don't know if he did. I don't know with don't all re- the I do lyrics. Not recall. And then uh, they're like, I thought he did a different yeah. song, front to back. He does. Um, he also brings in the first episode. He brings. Um, he writes "I Me Mine" after yeah, watching that's the what BBC. I'm of. Yeah. But uh, no, that he gives them like a complete all the lyrics done. All yeah. things must pass. Hands them the lyrics. Yeah. As John go play the organ part and the keyboard, and then they're just like, nah. It's actually that take of the song is on Anthology One. If you look that up, George it's, Harrison. Yeah, of them doing that, it's on mm-hmm. the Anthology One release from the nineties. Yeah. But. Oh, of on like the Beatles record you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, anthology okay, okay, okay. it's one on I think anthology three. It's on the third one of um but it's that take of George Harrison doing All Things Must Pass yeah. for them for the first time. Gotcha. Like I said though, all things must sleep. Because <laughs> uh, even the long winding road, that's like that's closer to the a Hey Jude type of vibe than like sleepy time tea type of vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a George guy, so I I'm can't. A, I'm a George I, guy I too. George. I think, but see, for me, I think the writing on that song is a thousand times stronger than yeah. like uh, Maxwell Silver Hammer. It's a fun story, but you, but you know what I mean. It's not like it's not as introspective. Can we, or... can, oh, can we uh, segue talk about Maxwell Silver Hammer, which is very funny to see them play? Um, we really enjoyed when. I don't know if it's an assistant or whoever, assistant engineer, Mal, but he's the he's the bigger guy with the big glasses and like the fucking like the shaggy bowl cut seventies yeah, yeah. hair. That's and Mal he, Evans. He's so happy to be hitting the anvil. He's just like, ah, <laughs> I'm the oh, I'm the seventh beetle. This is so amazing. Ding, ding. <laughs> it's so ding, funny. Ding. Yes, it made that baby. And me he's laugh. tuning it like they keep putting different things on it to <laughs> yeah. change the pitch of it. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I did tuning the end. That was my favorite part. Is uh, not my favorite part, but it's something I really enjoyed was seeing the bones of some Abbey Road songs. Right, yes. they had a lot of those. Yeah, because I mean, they only recorded Abbey Road like four months after this period. But, yeah, yeah. Um, they show about half that album in little snippets, working with like blah 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 lyrics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I also did. You guys like um, McCartney writing "Get Back" out of thin air. Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was really cool. That yeah. was pretty fucking incredible. Yeah. Just watching him be like, and you're yeah. like, oh shit, he's getting it. He's yeah, getting, like this is the literally the moment he thought of it yeah. in thin air coming out. That yeah. was but what's funny, amazing. That see. was amazing to see, but also in within that song, I think is where you see George Harrison decide he's going to quit Staring the band, Staring out into space because they're thinking about they're trying to figure out like, okay, what should George be doing, right? Because John's kind of doing don't 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 don't. He's doing like the chug. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, just, I don't know, just like do hits when we say get back. And then Paul McCartney decides he wants to do that. And then he's like, no, that seems like a little too cliche to do like, get back, boom, like those hits. Right. And George is like, just tell me what you want me to play, man. Like, 
Then they argue whether or not George has the confidence yeah, I don't to know, play. Though. And he's like, well, See, you should just Tell me what you want me to play, but also you tell me to play something and I'll still play something different. <laughs> so See, fuck you. <laughs> but that's what I mean. The whole thing's just a mess. For that's me, you, that's what you becomes apparent. Yeah. For you know? me yeah. watching that, that argument was him reject was the reject of all things was passed like two days before that. Right. When then they get in there and he's just like, you know what? You guys aren't taking any of my songs. And now I'm just having to write yours thin out of air. And I have one done. Boop. Cause yeah. they're like, they're like, we need some songs. We need some songs. He's like, I, I have songs. And they're like, well, we need some songs. That's where I was like, I, when he left, I was like, yeah, like I would leave too, man. If I had yeah. a whole album, in my pocket done. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be sitting here, like, making up nonsense with you guys. You know what I mean? That's how I Yeah, call. with the dude over here playing the anvil. That's what, you know what I mean? <laughs> He's talking about all things must pass. Sunlight doesn't last all morning. A cloud burst doesn't last all day. Like, all these, like, deep lyrics. And I'm like, clang, clang, Maxwell, Silver Ham. <laughs> Thank you. That's where, that's, that's, I feel you, that's uh, where I'm at. I, I feel, feel you. But it's, but Time that's, and place, man. Yeah, right, right. All things must pass. Ain't rock and roll. No. It's not TV special music. No, but also, yeah. was the, 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 what do you guys think of that whole idea anyway? Because let's talk mm. about that. Do you think, I think that was a terrible idea. The whole situation looks not good. Um, it feels like that room is just like a ton of people just being like, well, it's I like think a soundstage. Yeah, I think the studio. Beatles should be. I think the Beatles should be the Beatles. Yeah. You guys should be. It looks like a, the talk. The environment of the room looks yeah. just like terrible to create anything in. That was just me, though. Too many, yeah. Too many hands. Uh, what is it? Too many hands in the in the pot. Too many hands. Too many know, cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Too thank ma- you. Too many silent Hari Krishnas sitting in the corner. <laughs> yeah, praying. So you had praying the- mantras. The the Hare Krishnas in the corner in the beginning that was pretty funny just yeah. sitting quietly. Did you like how they were like? I think Ringo at one point was like, "Who who are they?" Yeah. And he's like, it's "The Hare Krishnas." And they're like, yeah. "Okay, all right." <laughs> yeah. um, also, um, I don't know if this was in the first the because fir- I watched like half the second one too, but um, there was that point where. Um, like Yoko and Linda were like gossiping behind the amp, just like talking to each other. Like, Ooh, yeah. that was like one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. to watch just cause it was cute. And like Linda taking photos of Paul was yeah. pretty cool. Um, Yoko finally made her triumphant entrance after sitting on the sidelines. What George leaves. And then like the next sequence is them just playing art rock of just like, rah, rah. And, yeah. it, and it, I watched it with closed caption and Yoko Ono just like, and it says wailing and then, <laughs> and then like 45 seconds later it says continues wailing <laughs> and she's just sitting there like yeah like jeez oh yeah not a yoko guy myself and and it's just crazy like yeah. drums like and, and paul's playing drums yeah it's like so terrible and and the camera's cutting like a madman like well that was another thing we were talking about earlier too like you know I think we agree mm. that this the way that it's filmed and the way that things are caught definitely causes a bit of like fatigue, watching fatigue yeah. because it's yeah. so long. It's a yeah, the first episode is 157 minutes. It's really dense. Episode 2 is 173 mm. and episode 3 is 138, so it's 468 minutes total. Also, speaking of it's a long time to be staring at a screen, man. Speaking yeah. of time mm. and like things like we said before we started really recording was um I didn't need um, Who Are the Beatles intro. I did. 
Did you really though? I like that shit. I, Me too. But like, I <laughs> like the newsreel clipping. I get high. <laughs> but I, I get high. But the thing is though, there's it's so derivative of every single Beatles documentary done before this yeah. documentary that it's just like, yeah, there's yeah. literally like four documentaries that are like hours long a piece that are just this. So go watch that. I think it was necessary though because. It's the setup. The, the, but, and the Beatles audience is a bunch of 75-year-olds. So but, th- you need to throw them a familiar bone to start off the whole thing, I think. But for me, my setup would have been like 10 minutes of the Beatles are in India. The Beatles uh, do, do the White Album. The Beatles are working separately. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Because they it really didn't get into that at all. It was just like, no. Sergeant Peppers, get back. Here we are. And I was just like, well... Kind of, but not yeah. real. Like you, you know what I mean. I think a lot of that throwback footage was because this new stuff was supposed to be more back to basics, simple rock and roll, on the spot, quick, dirty, and so they showed a lot of clips of like the mop top Beatles because right. that was the era where they're playing music like this, right? Um, and especially they do one sequence. I forget what song they're playing, but it's like this manic cutting back and forth between them playing this song now in the studio and them playing it at like Shea Stadium yeah. and it's cutting back forth, back forth, back forth as they play it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just for me, because it, it, it's like super long. You I, wanted more time? No, no, no. <laughs> I just want like that. I just don't need that. Yeah. Trim like, the fat is what you're saying. Yeah, Trim for, the fat. for me, I'm like, explain yeah. what the original documentary was and explain what you're doing now with this one. Mm. Here we are. Because, yeah. like, it's not – for me, the Beatles are so, so – everybody knows the Beatles. It's almost like if you don't know the Beatles coming into this, it's like, uh, also, why are you watching it? But listen, also mm. remember, too, though, man, that there were people who saw Paul McCartney do like, collaborate with – who was it? Kanye? Yeah. Yeah, but that's – And I'm- then people were like – Oh, this Kanye West is really gonna like put this Paul McCartney guy but, on the map. But this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm though. just saying those people ex- they do exist. They do They're called exist. anyone under 25 years old. Well, yes. right. So it's like so maybe the lead in in this sort of. Uh, but I hear you what know. you're saying, but I'm gonna butt you, and it's it's the those people aren't watching six hour long Beatle documentaries. They They're might just, be though, because they Disney, might. It's the it's, banner on Disney Plus right now. It is, but that's what I'm saying. Like, are you you might watch a little bit of it, but you're not gonna. Hmm. Who's gonna dense out like we are? Like, oh, it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, grab, not, grab some popcorn and get comfy. If you're not into it, man, you're Three gonna shut this shit off like instantly because we are super fans and we're like, it's a bit dense. Well, <laughs> it's know? it's the cutting. It's the cutting. I, I, it's the cutting. I, and I, I, I think it's because that. I love the Beatles so much, so I was watching it intently the whole time, like uh, picking up every fucking side, aside comment and like yeah. interaction and stuff. And it's the fact that it's all found footage and it's like not not sloppily edited, but they're trying to show you everybody's like angle and face during conversations. Yeah. And so it's a there's very few times where the camera's on one thing for more than 10 seconds. Right. Um, which are the moments I really like the most when they're just playing a song and da 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 through a verse and the camera kind of like sticks and shows. Um, well, you know which is which because on the on the cuts where it sticks and shows their mouths actually line up whereas 
almost everything else you can tell like I don't know if almost everything else. A there, lot of it. There's a, some of it. A lot of a lot of a, mismatched a, uh, like mouths with a actual lot of, voices and hands with instruments. Right. There's, yes, there's a lot of mismatch like they're playing and what they're playing <laughs> is not what they're playing. Right. In the you know what I mean. But yeah. there, there's a disclaimer before it starts saying that there was 50 hours of video, 180 of audio. So there's times where they try to faithfully like match video with audio. Right. Because right. there's a lot of conversations and a lot of good moments that they wanted to have, but they just didn't have the video for it. They had the audio for it. Right. right. So yeah, they'll show them like playing through the bones of something and you can, you know, they're just strumming and it's, it's more that Ken Burns type of style right. of montage. My favorite, my favorite moment musically, I think was when they're making up stuff on the spot and they start singing the song, uh, about like the Commonwealth is not is too common for me, and it's all oh, these yeah, references yeah. to like the newspaper headlines about the anti-immigration stuff, and that like is a whole four minutes where they're just showing the the creation of this like off the cuff song. Yeah, that that for me was one of the best moments too because you're watching them like do get back, and then they kind of form it into this like other the that Commonwealth tune. Right, right. And then I did enjoy that too because that was like really watching how the sausage, yeah. you know, yeah gets done that was a great great moment I, I, something i like about paul mccartney because he is the leader of the band is um i like that people have such a like fanatical thing about the beatles and what do the songs mean and what it, and it's like unless you understand from the get-go that the beatles were just trying to crank out the best shit that they could as fast and as whatever and as creatively like not bogged down as possible like because paul mccartney he straight up is like Da da da, and he puts in random words, and he tries like different names, like, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, who is Sweet Loretta?" And really, he's just like, "Sweet Virginia, sweet, but da da, sweet, blah, blah. and then he's like, "Oh, I like Loretta the most. Let's stick with that and keep going." Next yeah. line, like, and people are so like, "What is what's all the mean? All these fucking LSD I, heads are yeah. like, what's well, the meaning?" The great one, it's in the um, this is in the second one because they're still yeah. working on the lyrics to get back, but um, eventually he goes um. He goes, Tucson. And then Lennon looks over. It might be in the first one, actually. That's and the second one. Lennon looks over and goes, Tucson? He goes, yeah, it's where this thing's made. Yeah. And then they're like, okay. And then that's how they settled <laughs> yeah. it. It's like yeah. Paul bought something that was made in Tucson and was like, yeah. done. He's yeah. like, but he's like, Joe, Joe Jackson, Joe, Joe Simpson, Joe, Joe Smith, Joe, yeah, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> Joe, Joe Jackson. Yeah, he's like coming up with yeah. all the different ones. So I love that. and I And I like how... You can see he he's like I know line one two and four but I'll da 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 through line three and then mm-hmm. you can see the, how things shift around. Um, I loved that during the long and winding road too, mm-hmm. where uh, Ringo was like trying was throwing off lines to him, and he's yeah. just like, uh, I, just that that kind of stuff made me laugh. He's like they're sitting at the piano. He's like, what about this? Yeah, yeah. He's the one man. I gotta say, he's always been my guy, but this this documentary especially shows you that like Paul was the engine of that thing. Oh, he's the ideas, he, but guy. he had to though. Yeah, and he's the, he, somebody like, had to like t- like yeah. steer the ship. Yeah, and he was the one who had to he's for like, sure. He's the one throwing out like almost every right. major idea, like where like where should we go stylistically? Where should we go? Yeah, like because he's like the one that's like let's bring back the rock. He's like let it's an idea, like the rock and roll idea. So yeah. like let's go with that. And then they're like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I I cause as soon as they sat in the room, my first thing was going, oh I wonder who really steers this shit. So like because you're gonna really oh, yeah. see it. 
And then yeah. as soon as it starts to click in, you're like, oh, it's Paul. Because like I was watching it uh, with Chelsea last night, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was like, Paul's like calling all the shots, and mm-hmm. she's like, you think so? And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, you could you yeah. could just tell. It's funny though how like the banter back and forth, even if they they disagree with each other, is always almost the sort of like that like very kind like you know it's not like very it's not the it's, you know, so it's English, not the way that you yeah. want it to be though is it you know like or something like that like and it's very yeah it's like this weird like super British apologetic yeah. rejection um, like <laughs> rejection of like ideas and stuff because Paul's arrangements usually win I. I noticed too when Paul was like doing stuff and Lennon was there. Lennon is like the the coolest guy in the room, like the cool guy. <laughs> so like cool Paul guy. is being like corny, yeah. And they're like, he's like, well, is it too corny? And Lennon's like, well, it's not like too corny. It's like kind of, it's like enough corny, you know. Yeah. They're like doing that yeah. thing. And, and I love how John's just all, just so greasy. <laughs> like also, his, his hair he's wearing just the, looks like the same outfit the entire time yeah. for continuity. He said <laughs> he walks in like the ninth day wearing that purple shit. shirt with a vest. Yeah, with a <laughs> black vest. And they're like, "We're in the same clothes." I think Joe Harrison's like, "You wearing the same clothes?" Like continuity. He's, he's like, like when, "Well, when the audience watches it, it's gonna look like you folks are changing outfits every thirty seconds." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also loved like it was really I think it was like the first or second day of rehearsal there it's um, they have like a steady shot on Lennon's foot tapping mm. and they uh, keeps going back to that shot and there's like cigarette butts that keep building up on the uh, floor near his feet and like the pile of garbage by the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> it's like pretty bubbleable near yeah. his feet all the garbage and trash that well, that's the funny are. thing too yeah they're like chain smoking the whole time there's one cut scene where it's like toast and jam and like they had like you know I don't know. Did they, you like the um? Did you see that scene with the camera operator? Um, and he had the huge like ten inch stogie in his mouth, like while he's operating the camera, like the smoke <laughs> isn't getting in every shot. <laughs> yeah, that that made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah, there's a there's a back and forth pretty early in episode one where they're talking about um the business side of things, and they're making these jokes about like. Well, it's not our songs. It's Dick James's songs. Yeah. And, and, and it's like Dick James is this shadowy figure who they keep mocking and talking about like, well, fuck it. Fuck what we decide because it's really Dick James's decision. Who's yeah. the guy who owned the Northern Songs catalog of their music? And I'm thinking, oh, this is just them bitter about this guy. Yeah. And then he shows up three quarters way through the episode and is having a conversation with them about the business, about like the songs he owns and stuff. Yeah. And I I had the timing wrong, but it was two months after this that he sold their entire catalog of songs from out out from under them without their approval. Yeah, and that's when they're going through like the EMI booklet yeah. and stuff, and they're reading all the like, oh, the you own this, you own this. He's like, yeah. oh, I own four thousand songs. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, and they're they're laughing about like, well, enjoy your two percentage <laughs> each, and then two months later, all those songs get sold by Dick James. That's so crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, also, Crazy. what is very apparent to me during this time is that none of them really want anything to do with the management side of anything. They are terrible at that. You could tell because as soon yeah. as somebody starts talking business to them, like Ringo's like – just zone out. Ringo's like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like they just fucking start getting so exhausted. They're like, Jesus. Um, also, did you guys catch any of that Magic Alex shit that was happening in the first episode? Magic Alex. So the Beatles, they keep talking about this dude magic. They keep talking. Alex is going to bring in the thing. Alex is going to do the Alex. 
So they're in that studio, and they hired this guy. Look up the Wikipedia page. He's got one, Magic Alex, to build this thing, this, like, recording studio for them that was supposed to do all this, like, state-of-the-art shit that, like, still is not possible. (laughs) He was swindling these guys for, like, I think he ended up swindling them for, like, $2 million and was telling them he was going to build all this shit for them, and he never – he couldn't build anything. Mm. So they're also talking about that in the middle of it, and I was like – I was like, oh, shit, because I was like, oh, this, here's this guy that I had read about before. Um, in the second episode, he brings them a guitar up in the Apple studio. It's the base of a guitar, and it's got the neck and strings. One side's got bass strings. The other side's got guitar strings, and they flip it, flip it and he's like, it does both. And they're like, they're like, how do you tune it? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and then he's like. Okay. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And George Harrison goes, give him another million quid. Jesus. Yeah, right, right. Like, oh, my God. That shit made yeah. me laugh because then they end up bringing in Harrison's eight-track recorder from his house. And he's like, I hope nobody steals this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, so we'll episode two because yeah, I, I, I only started just it. started it. Luke got a little bit ways in, so uh, we'll definitely we'll cover episode two yeah. next week. You know, spend a little time on each episode uh, mm-hmm. every week. But uh, all right, well, do you guys want to take a quick break? Yeah, and we'll come back. We'll uh, get back. We'll get back. Get back. <laughs> Most of us, i.e., comedians, treat open mics as a necessary evil. But not Silas P. Every week, Silas talks to a veteran of the sights, sounds, and smells of the Philly open mic scene, sharing stories of momentary triumph and lingering failure with enough shit talk sprinkled in to make you listen to hear your name. I'm like 35% sure that I'm in there. So pay attention, hang out in the room, and maybe you'll learn why you got bumped on the launching pod. And we're back. Welcome back to Get the Garage. We just concluded our... Garaged. Garaged. Garage doors closed on the Beatles, but now opens again for a new topic. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, some of our favorite hip-hop groups. We're using this as an appetizer for next week's discussion, where we're going to be joined by a special guest. Yep. um, Your friend, Devin. Yes. To talk about some of his favorite hip-hop albums. So we thought... It'd be a good thing to uh, talk about some of our favorite hip-hop groups as a related topic. And we each came up with our three favorite. And so we're going to kind of just, this is kind of like a recommendation type of thing. Yeah. More than an in-depth hi- history or whatever. We're just going to free ball it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you always get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I do it for. I do it for that. Thank you. Um, so we're each going to name three, and uh, I'll start with my three if you guys want me to. Um, uh, the first of my three, my favorite, I'll just say my favorite hip-hop group is Outkast, the criminally underrated hip-hop group, um, because those dudes made music for just about a decade and then kind of split and yep. have kind of done their own solo thing. Um, since then, but they split up in like 2006, a while, while, while ago, and they were very young when they split up. Um, and that's a group out of Atlanta, made up of two members, um, Antoine, big boy, and Andre, Andre 3000, and they started making records together. I think the first one dropped when they were 19, and uh, they were one of the pioneers of the Dirty South sound, and they got huge popularity, especially 
in the early 2000s, I think 2003-ish was when Hey Ah came out and it was like the biggest song and is still considered one of the biggest songs ever. And um, they made a handful of albums, maybe six albums, maybe seven albums. And I love all of them for different reasons. And uh, I don't know, what do you guys think about Outkast? I um, quite enjoy them. Um, as a young child, they were quite the um, MTV mm. group. Um, that was like probably they were like the most artistic um, – because as like somebody that wasn't you know into hip hop at the time, like as you know as much, I feel like they were the clearly like the artistic like Beatles of rap at that moment, mm. where they were like just breaking through every rule, every barrier, all that. Um, so that was something I always appreciated about them. I just felt like they were artistically always on like a uh, they were always like playing like four D chess, where like all the other kind of yeah. like hip hop groups were like of the trend and of the time they were um they were the tastemakers they were making mm. the times that's how i feel yeah. i mean mm. that's why i think you're talking about them timeless right yeah i would agree i mean i like um miss jackson like that song sure, that yeah. was that was on oh. almost every single mm. mix cd that i ever made you know what i right. mean like because it was just so funny yeah. And that's the thing I liked about them too is like they that song sounded crazy different when that came out. Oh, the crazy! Like the beat yeah. on it is like so I can't. It's like re, it's like reversed beat. Yeah. Right. Right. I remember being like a young a, being young and hearing that, and it was just like I remember singing the chorus. Yeah. Like you, you don't know what you're yeah. singing. Like yeah, that, man. That was. But even songs like "Hey Y'all," like all the like. What was cool about them was like they also sort of embraced kind of like that, that flamboyance and a little bit of that sort of like, excuse me, like show businessy kind of thing. Like they're just a really interesting mix, and I think the um, there's a nice balance too in the band where Andre Three Thousand tends to be sort of that kind of more character. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? A little. He had a f a flow that's similar to. Um, like a Snoop Dogg type of flow where yeah. it's a little bit like cramming more words into the line that makes sense, but making it work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, doing a lot more of the character stuff and Big Boy was more still like very fast lyricist if he wanted to be, but he was more of that like um, kind of like the UGK Ghetto Boys type of Southern rap at times. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just like how Luke said how they broke a lot of musical barriers because... They, especially over the duration of their recording career, they were blending like 60s psychedelia with 70s funk with like, you know, that parliament funkadelic type of thing. Right, right. Um, and they did a lot of their own production, especially in the second half of their career. They were their producers and did all the beats. And so you hear a lot of those kind of tinny and very amateur sounding drum machines mixed with like fuzzed guitar, mixed with like weird like purposely sloppy keyboards and stuff um i i just always enjoyed their very it's like super polished because it's well done but it's also kind of a bumbling and lo-fi type of thing too it reminded me a lot of like sly and the family stone which who was a huge influence on them right um so these like really well done home recording type like, of like there's style. a riot going on vibe right yeah um and yeah they're like the one hip-hop group that I could listen to on an endless loop uh, 
because the two guys have such different flows, but they do work well together because they would do a lot of, you know, trading verses like how hip hop groups do, but it would all make sense. Um, it never felt like it were two disparate styles until their um, speaker box love below album, which literally was a double album where one, one guy, big boy did speaker box and Andre 3000 did the love below. And it's like, it sounds like the beat. It's like the Beatles white album where it's like, Oh, these guys like barely work together making this album. And it, but it's clear. And that's kind of the point is one disc is one dude and the other disc is the other dude. Yeah. Um, and that famously was like an album of the year winner and all that kind of stuff. I don't love that record because they I like, are working I like separately. Three thousands record. Oh, better. you do? Fuck yeah! I do. With like the crazy, like skittery, like bebop, s- soprano sax stuff, and like <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it just feels like more like if you're gonna put out like a a, a statement, it was, yeah. it was so much more like artistically like out there where yeah. like Big Boys was like, "This is a hip hop record," and we're yeah. like, "Yep, we get it. Yeah, we get that. Yep, yeah, um, yeah." So that that's my first selection. Um, the the one album I would say to listen to, they they are all great in their own ways, but I'd actually choose the one in their mid period. Um, it's their third studio album from 1998. It's called Aquemini, and it's one that is very much 70s soul and funk and psychedelic. And I don't think it had hits hits, but some well known songs from that are Rosa Parks and Skewed on the Barbie. And my favorite Outcast song of all time, which is Spodiodi Dopalicious, um, which is this like seven minute fucking purple haze, like smoke filled room type of like meditation on life, uh, especially like where they grew up and crime and like the dark paths people can take and yeah. um, beautiful horn line that's been sampled by Beyonce and other artists. And um, so, yeah, Outcast. Outcast. Uh, if we want, if we want to do groups of three, I, I'll, my second choice, um, a very different sounding group, but all respect to them, uh, the Beastie Boys is my second pick. Yeah, who are three white kids from New York who are like street punks and skateboard dudes and like kind of like trust fund kids. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and they uh, they were running around New York's uh, underground rap scene at the time in the early '80s. And they put out their first album, I think, in 1986 with Rick Rubin as the producer. And they mishmashed that kind of hard rock. Like, uh, they started out doing a lot of, like, Led Zeppelin sampling and stuff like that. And then by their third album, they started to do a lot more of their own instrument playing. Because they they were originally a punk band. So all three guys, they played drums, uh, guitar, and bass. And they started doing the music on a lot of their songs on their third album and beyond. So they kind of like shifted from a pure rap group into more of what the 90s was, which is like alternative music, where it's yeah. very hip hop influenced and a lot of rapping still, but also just a lot of like instrumental breaks and like two and a half minute songs where it's just like a vibe out song. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of, you would call it singing, but it was kind of like that yelled very. 80s style hip hop stuff. They, <laughs> I love that they like took the the boom bap, yeah, rock. Yeah. They took that though, like all the way through the 90s, where like other people yeah. were like could not get that style to work yeah. in the context of the well, 90s. Like it's they're all yelling over each other and finishing lines stuff. Um, and that's why I like that. That's why they're on my list is because, yeah, they did carry that torch up until. 
Um, Adam Yawk died, um, MCA. He died in like maybe 2006, 2007, something like that. So they did make albums until the mid-2000s. And uh, yeah, they never dropped that style of like, quote unquote, like kind of corny white guy rapping. Yeah. Um, but it, they made it so effortless and cool and like, yeah. I don't know. MCA passed away in 2012. Oh, 12, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, the Beatles, I, I'm the Beatles, Jesus. The Beastie Boys, rather. I, I have like, I don't know. I'm not a big Beastie Boys guy. Yeah. But I don't think it's because I don't actually like the Beastie Boys as much as it's like, how many times do I have to listen to like a dad rock band yeah. play? Sabotage. You know, or That's like. That's not the Beastie Boys. Fight. No, it's the, the Fight for Your Right to Party is the one that oh. that every dad rock. Oh, band covers and that's fine you know what i mean that's fine i'm not like i'm not trying to talk shit on it but it's like it's that certain thing where it's like that's kind of ruined it for me a little Mm -hmm. bit but i do have of course i have a lot of respect for the beastie boys like i'm not gonna i like you know my favorite part about the beastie boys is i feel like they were um if there was a joke to be made they would make the joke every time yeah and that's why i i like a lot of their like lyrics um one of my favorites is um in Shake Your Rumpa, uh, is where your is uh, where he goes uh, like uh, is your name Michael Michael Diamond? He's like, nah, my name's Clarence. Like that, <laughs> like line where he's like, you know, is that kind of stuff makes me laugh a lot. Like the Fred Flintstone driving around both feet in the same tune makes me laugh hysterically. Um, I, I just love it. Their... Has a very like when I think when I think of the Beastie Boys, I also think of a time and place in my life where I was also listening to like jerky boys soundtracks oh sure you yeah. know what i mean you remember yeah. the jerky boys and all yeah. of them like it's kind of that it reminds me of like new york in that era very sophomoric kinda... very immature yeah yeah um especially the playful early stuff. very funny very you know yeah. some tum- sometimes uh tongue-in-cheek you know after their first couple al- albums though they like reconciled their kind of offensive and jerky boys nature and they started to be more um like spiritual guys they were big into the free free tibet movement yep, yep. and um ad rock is married or with a partner i don't know uh the lead singer of bikini kill which is like a famous riot girl like feminist band kathleen, kathleen hannah and um i i don't know i so i think that they grew up in the spotlight because that first album came out they were like 20 to 22 years old the three yeah. guys and they were just like drinking 40s and like listening to heavy metal music and like trying to get girls and like all that stuff and then they became more like enlightened and mature and adults and yeah. That's... dads they became like literal rapping dads who are like wearing suits <laughs> but still like rapping <laughs> yeah. the same style um, i think again like another thing with your hip with your i mean at least with these two picks that you have so far is um like say like a group like um run dmc who came out at the same time mm-hmm. maybe was a bit older than the beasties but um right they never really innovated their style up into the 90s where you take, like, the Beasties and they have a song in the Intergalactic Planetary in the 90s right. that it sounds completely different from the first record. Like, that sample is so out there. Right. And it's it's innovative and it keeps progressing. Mm. Even if they kind of still have their same kind of flow, it's different in the things that they're talking about, the, um, the music that is made. It sounds different. It progresses, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I do. I you. I have to say, intergal- intergalactic planetary. The music video for that. Yeah, that's another reason why I like. You know, them. like so M- good. MCA did all the directing of their videos, and they're like these crazy, like seventies spoofs, and yeah. or just weird, like home movie style music videos. 
Um, yeah, give their give their middle period stuff another listen. That would be like um, check your head and ill communication because you'll you'll hear there's a about half the tracks on each of those albums there is no vocals. It's just yeah. them playing and like putting down these kind of like flute samples with like some dirty drum loops and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's another thing I like about them a ton too is you get really um, almost a great like album in every like a great era so mm-hmm. like they have like the original boom bap era and theirs yeah. is like their first record is great the second record is like the sampling yeah. masterpiece it's like nobody sampled better than um paul's boutique and right. then the third record you get like live band mm. fully formed you know they're playing their own instruments now like that yeah. progression is amazing yeah. too you know what i mean in yeah. that sense yeah um so yeah i i just their, and their style is grating and it's their voices like literally especially ad rock and mike d their voices you know if you don't like the bc boys you're gonna check out after like three songs because it's like i am talking like this <laughs> and yeah. mca is the only one who has kind of like a mellow voice where it's like pleasurable to listen to um but yeah i've just always i've always <laughs> liked their style and you know it's like it has to be said it's not a reason why I like them, but you know, history is history and it's written by the victors. And it's a fact that like hip hop wouldn't be where it is if they didn't have like a group of white guys bringing it to the suburbs and all that kind of stuff. So it's not good or a bad thing. It's just, it is what part of their story was. Yeah. They were dudes who like turned and they loved early hip hop, which was all black arts. And they, they just like would sneak in the back door of these clubs and just love it and live it. And so for them to make their own music and to bring it to the masses, but then to shift it, you know, and make it more their own, make it more like, well, we were a punk band. Let's play our fucking shit and rap over it. And less of the, like trying to steal the run DMC style or Mm. steal the public enemy style or steal. I never really thought of it that way, but that's a, that's a a very interesting way to look at it too. Yeah. Um, And the one record I would, I, there's like five, again, just like Outcast. there's like five I would recommend. But the one I would recommend, recommend, um, is their second album from 1989, Paul's Boutique, uh, produced by the Dust Brothers. And it's like Luke said, it's just every song is like 15 samples and it's this collage of sound and it covers every bass and... A record yeah. like that will never, ever, 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 ever be legally made. Legally be made ever again. <laughs> that will legally be, ever be made. No, Never. that's it, the other thing about that record. Yeah. End of yep. an era. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, and then my third group that I would like to highlight is uh, a group from New York City again, and that's Public Enemy. And that's a group that was kind of like a collective, like a, a movement more than a band, um, but led by Chuck D, the MC, Flava Flav, who was an MC slash hype man, um, Professor Griff, who's with the group for the first couple of years. Um, Terminator X, who's their DJ. They had like a whole squad of like marcher slash dancer dudes uh, in their stage show. Um, and they are a group that they've put out albums pretty consistently for the past, uh, now it's been almost 35 years. Um, but especially their first six, seven years, uh, Yo Bum Rush the Show, Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, and Fear of a Black Planet are like three of the big. Um, especially in the like uh, Afrocentric and Black Power and all the that type of movement that was happening from like these were like the generation of the people, the generation of uh, the kids coming from the generation of parents who were in the civil rights movement. 
So these were dudes um, born in the late 50s, early 60s, making hip-hop music for, quote-unquote, the kids and the grandkids of people who, like, marched and people who were there in Washington. And um, and their music is very powerful, and it's very... Uh, it's like this crazy collage of sound. Uh, the production by Chuck D and the Shockley Brothers and Eric Sadler, known as the Bomb Squad, is, like, one of the most um, referenced production styles which was like basically let's take a james brown drum loop and then let's take a bass line from a sly stone song and then let's take uh police sirens and now let's take crazy chopped up and pitched up keyboards and let's do this and then let's put this and let's put this and it's just like sounds like war it sounds like battle it sounds like chaos um and it's like so funky and so full and so um energetic and almost chaotic at times oh yeah like to the Super ear chaotic yeah. to, to focus on like one thing in the beat yeah um and it's and it's rooted by chuck d's voice who is like this very power like like i am preaching to you and it's deep and it's like booming and it's it's yeah. like no nonsense yeah. And then you have Flava Flav, who is kind of like the cr- the clown prince. <laughs> yeah, the court jester. <laughs> right. But like um, purposely, yeah, like giving it levity. And yeah. stuff. Listen, yeah. guys, I think he was only there to show people what time <laughs> what it was. Time, literally, what time is it? Let me look down at my 14-inch clock hanging from my neck. People didn't know. Um, yeah, and they talked about themes that were uh, important then and very important now. I think that Fight the Power uh, – in the latest version of the 500 greatest uh, songs on in Rolling Stone, I think Fight the Power was number two behind Respect. It was. It was. And uh, it's because the message, you know, unfortunately, times have not changed that much in the 30 years since they put out these albums. And uh, people of color and black Americans and less economically uh, flourishing people are still kind of under the boots of the man and all that stuff. Um Side note, interestingly, my uncle worked with uh, Public Enemy and Chuck D, and he, his band was signed as a, like, protege group. Um, so that's, like, a cool little tie I have to yeah. hearing some stories about, like, him recording some shit with the Shockleys when he was, like, 17. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll have to get him on one of these days. Oh, yeah. That'd yeah, be amazing. Yeah. yeah. He, we actually he, – he and I had a conversation about music recently and because we, we talked – we were talking about the podcast and then he and I talked about music for a while and we were like, man, we just did like an episode off mic. Um, so anyway, public enemy, yeah. the, the album I would recommend, um, it would be, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, which is their second album, I believe it's from 1988. And, uh, yeah, check it yeah. out. Well done, sir. Check it out. I also like how we chose to do hip hop groups, which I did not realize was the assignment at first. <laughs> yeah, but, but two that... out, you had two out of three, and the third was a good, was was a sub where I went, yeah, okay, yeah. But yeah, so I I uh, here bringing it to the hip hop group, which is almost something I think of the past, something yeah, that I mean... we're we're not seeing as much of anymore. Yeah, uh, no, a, like a, it a kind collaborative... of fizzled out maybe like in the mid two thousands with the later like. Are there little... any hip hop groups? It's hard to be in a band. Yeah, it is hard. It's to be hard in a band. to be in a band. Can you? Name I mean, there's. One? What's, um, what's a current hip hop group that like isn't a legacy group from thirty years ago? Oh, that even like isn't I've, isn't a member because I was like I was gonna say like I listen to um, like Zarface like that 
new group, but they're all Those old rappers. One, and they're like one-offs too. It's like yeah. a producer with an MC. Yeah, yeah not, not in the way – I find that like when it comes to hip-hop now, it's, more, it's, it's less like this is the group yeah. and, and more like – these are the artists on the label. This is so the, you'll get like a cipher a posture, from like sure. all the artists yeah, that yeah. are on, say, like Slaughterhouse. Right, that right. was like Eminem's. Oh, Slaughterhouse is Slaughterhouse. A group? But that's that is yeah. I guess so. So maybe, but that's the only one I can think of. It's, so Slaughterhouse is Royce the Five Nine. Uh, oh man, okay. I can't remember. Even, I'll look. Oh, it up. No, Hang he's on. in a different group. He's Even, in a he's in a two. He was group. in. Royce the Five Nine. Yeah, he's in a two. He was group. It, he he because uh, that had Joe with, Budden and stuff. That was Slaughterhouse. He did um, uh, he did a thing with Premier. Eminem that was like Bad Meets Evil. He did sure. that. That was just the duet. Kind I think of thing. he's in a group with Premier, DJ Premier. Um, so it's like old school Eric B. Rakim type of style, right? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, crime, uh, crime, something like that. Prime, I, I think. He's who's also well. Royce was also part of D Twelve, right? But uh, Royce's group is Prime, and but it's like spelled R H Y M E. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've seen that. And th- I think that's him and DJ Premier, which is a group like that's an '80s, especially '80s style group. Well, you know, yeah, DJ Slaughterhouse is considered a group, but they to, haven't done anything. But they haven't done, yeah, years, no, probably. right. Yeah. The years active was well, 2008 to 2018, but I doubt that any the the they released two albums, self-titled Slaughterhouse 2009, mm-hmm. Welcome to Our House 2012. Oh, yeah, so, so that, it's that it's was a thing years. they did for three for four years. Yeah, yeah. they did two tours. Um, the locks, yeah. but even them, they were from the nineties. So. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, nerd. Oh, nerd. Yeah, but even then, that that was like 10, 20 years ago, right? Uh, that was twenty years. Yeah, ago. yeah. That's what I'm and they haven't put out anything in uh, the years. last group <laughs> rap group. I can think of, it's like D twelve. Right. That yeah. was like M and M's, but that was like kind of like a one off, whatever. Yeah, um, that they yeah. haven't done anything in. No. At least 10 years of yeah, Purple Pills is probably the last hit I can think of that came from D12. Yeah, maybe the hip hop group is it's kind of a dead thing now. Well, people do people do uh like the features, one-offs. yeah. Yeah, features like, collaborations. Like that yeah. Zarface record is Inspector Deck um L7 or 7L and then um What's the other dude's I don't name? Know. It's it's three guys. Madlib or uh, who's the DJ in that? No, let me see. Hold on. Uh, yeah, mm, I can't mm. really think of anything current though. I can think of three. Um, um Watch oh. the Throne, which was a one album, great one album, but Kanye and Jay Z from 2011. It's a long ass it's, time. It's uh, yeah. Inspector Deck, uh, DJ Seven L, and Esoteric. Okay. Is our face, gotcha. but those are all. There was what? What a time to be alive might have been the name of the album, and that was Drake and Future. But again, one right. album. And, it's, was, and that's still like a, only a really a, a duet, the, you know? The, like you think, the, if you like a three or more. The cact. What do they call it? Uh, Cactus Jack, or I don't know, but it, it was it was uh, Quavo from Migos and Travis Scott did a one album. Yeah. Together. It's more of but a collab all, nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Like, there's not really groups that are coming up as the group, as the whole unit. You know what I mean? Back to the... There was one that never got realized, and that was Black Hippie, which was, like, that was Kendrick Lamar, uh, J-Rock, uh, Schoolboy Q, and I forget the fourth guy. But yeah. they, like, came up together as 
teenagers, early 20s, but then they all did solo things. And they always said, we're going to do the the project. That I don't think it's ever materialized. They've done, I think they did one or two songs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. anyway back to Absol, that was the fourth one. Back to the uh, the rap group Heyday. Yes. We're going to, uh, so I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, DMX is under the chat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rudolph that's a, had a oh, that's reindeer. Rough Riders. Yeah. That was fucking 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That required a train whistle, Luke. Oh, yeah. You're off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> that could require police sirens and dogs. <laughs> All right. So to your first group. All right. Uh, I'm going to uh, talk about kind of like the birth of conscious hip hop. I'm going to start with. Uh, Boogie Down Productions, the group of KRS-One. Um, so KRS-One, Boogie Down Productions um, is pretty much KRS-One, uh, D-Nice, and Scott LaRock, um, pretty much born out of a South Bronx homeless shelter. South Bronx. Where South Scott Bronx. LaRock was a, um, the DJ was a, um, why can't I think of what, what that's called? Uh... Uh, a a um Producer? a caseworker. Oh, caseworker. Okay. So he worked at the homeless mm-hmm. shelter as a caseworker. Uh, KRS One was a homeless person. Yep. Um, they met, had a love for hip hop, and started working together. Um, and uh, they really kind of hit it off with uh, like tunes like "The Bridge Is Over." Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much starting like one of the first hip hop rival rivalries. I can, man, I can't talk. Ever with um, DJ Marley Mar, um, so basically they were the start of like the hip hop drama. They had uh, the Bridge Wars, which has a great Wikipedia page if you feel like looking up a great bunch of diss songs back and forth. Um, but the style of rap, I guess, on Criminally Minded was um, really out there. Kind of the front cover is him with um, you know they have like Glocks and stuff on the cover. They're heavily armed. It was like one of the first. Um, hip-hop records to have, like, loaded guns on the cover kind of thing. So that's pretty out there. Um, It's, like, kind of the first, like, gangster rap record, I guess you could say, with, you know, the weapons on the front cover. Um, But I love the songs on here because, like, it's just that old-school, like, um, bam-bap style of KRS-One. He is throwing out, like, the the teacher thing um, where he's kind of giving you, like, what – you know, the knowledge of the streets. He's KRS-One. He's giving you, you know, his knowledge. So um, I really like that kind of thing. I like the vibe of, like, saying, um, you know, giving you, like, a, a worldview or, like, um, a something you didn't see in that before. Mm-hmm. So I like all that. And then um, just besides all that, like, the sampling is, is great on this record. It's, like, the Beatles and um, – there's like ACDC samples on here. Um, obviously James Brown kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, and uh, I really, really like Boogie Down Productions. Uh, the second record, Scott LaRock passes away, um, mm-hmm. is murdered uh, after he tries to stop some like local neighborhood beef with um, some local guys. Um, they pull a gun on him, shoot him. And KRS-One really switches up his entire game at that point and um, starts the Stop the Violence campaign and really starts um, a whole forward movement in hip-hop to stop violence, to educate yourself um, 
on matters of like race and poverty and um economic status all that all that stuff um and i feel like he was really on the forefront of of that message after being kind of maybe the um aggressor of uh another message initially Mm -hmm. so i like um the switch up the whole career arc and i like you know that whole vibe yeah so what do you guys think you guys krs1 boogie down production yeah yeah i've listened to it yeah yeah same here i love the um i love the early sampling man there's just this there's just something about it the early early sampling even if you look at groups like gangstar like i don't know man those beats that those are the beats that i live for yeah that stuff that old that like old school like i mean this krs one what the first record came out what 87 you said 86 uh 1987 87 i mean my my taste really starts coming in you know more early 90s like 92 to 96 um but yeah it's it's interesting because you listen to hip-hop now and it is so different in the way of you know, whereas back then, like having a live band would be something that was like frowned upon. It's just like, no, you have a DJ and the DJ spins samples and then the samples are played, you know, like, yeah. so to actually have live musicians on a stage with you, that was considered weird in the hip hop community. It's interesting to see how now it's changed in that way where there's incorporation of all of that stuff. Like everything is right. Like the live shows, they all have drummers. Yeah, they all and have drummers and, and yeah, guitar players and stuff where back then it was just like a crew. It was like. The well, musicians, they're, this they're record- posse and the and the um like the DJ. Yeah. Well, this record too has some of like the most bare bones like sampling of like um, Which one the first one? Yeah, like yeah. South South Bronx. Like that song is just the James Brown and it's just looped over that. And it's uh if you listen to that song South Bronx, that is that sampling is done like live in in the moment. So that they're like Doing that all live, the rapping's live, the sampling's yeah. live, all that is—it's very interesting to hear. And they're interwoven in the in the birth story narrative of hip hop itself. You know what I mean? Like a New York band from the Bronx, like absolutely. They're you know they're. Yeah. And by the time you get to like all um, the second album, um, you get like more, even more conscious songs like My Philosophy. Also, the cover of the second record is um, him doing the um malcolm x pose out the window um with the gun mm. um it's like the same thing so you really have that kind of you know uh like it's like the birth of the daisy age which is what i really enjoy yeah so yeah and i like the sound of this era of hip-hop um because these were they were using uh compared to today's pretty primitive uh technology to sample so what they do is they would sample a a break and they would then speed it up and then resample it and then speed up and resample it. And with each new sampling, it would degenerate it. So it would get that crackly, dusty, like lo-fi type of thing, um, which is like one of the marks of that period of hip hop. So that everything, all the bass is like, instead of like clear drums, it all sounds like kind of like airy and yeah. Um, And as far as the, the rhyming i like krs1 i I like his voice like his literal like how his voice sounds and i like his messaging and i like that he started from a place of being like the street scribe of talk about his real experiences and the harrowing nature of you know living on the streets and having to resort to crime to get by and all that stuff and that very pretty quickly in like a five-year period he totally flipped into 
the danger, the real dangers and like avoid this and like deescalate and don't be violent. And there's a better way. And he was always like big into spiritual learnings, the Hare Krishnas and, um, that's where he got his name. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was called Krishna when he lived at the homeless shelter and, um, the teacher, because he was a young dude who was teaching other, telling other young people, like, I know you got to do this for a little bit to get by, but like, there's a better way and you can make it out of here. And, um, he he's like someone who he is still like relatively young. I think he's probably in his late fifties, maybe. And I don't know if he's really been making music in the last twenty twenty five years. He, but he does like um he does a lot of like one off kind of events okay. or maybe like he did an album with Marley Marr like ten years ago where they okay. like squashed their beef and they did like a you know together record. Yeah. Mostly just does um he does a lot of speaking dates sure. uh, speaking engagements where he does history of hip hop and. Mm. Um, again, like the Stop the Violence campaign, what that means in modern day, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah it's know. not a bad thing to stop doing the music thing, especially those guys, the guys who like lived the 80s era of hip hop. Hip hop was never, it wasn't for the fucking old guys. No. It's, that's for the kids. Though he Wu-Tang does. Wu-Tang is for the children, you know, like it's not. Oh, we're going to get into that. Don't worry. KRS-One, no. <laughs> um, he does have a, a great uh, ni- like mid-90s record where DJ Premier does like most of the beats. Mm. Um, it's I think it's his first solo record. So I would definitely check that out because that's a definitely a great 90s stomper. But after that, yeah. it's kind of like, eh, but um, Boogie Down Productions. I love great rap group classic what's the one you would recommend start um, out with the first the first record yeah. the i think the first record is um it's just really it you get a lot of like the vibe and also some of the most like interesting rapping of the day especially mm-hmm. when he does like the billy joel um melody oh, right. kind of yeah. rap thing it's just a, there's a lot of interesting great stuff on there so i'd say the first one is probably the most solid record all around so nice. check nice. that out and if we're going to uh continue with the same kind of vibe i'm gonna uh throw out another group here which would be um a tribe called quest um tribe called quest is another new york group um which came out a bit like kind of around the same time as krs1 but they were younger and more like not fully formed yet um the group kind of um formed around that whole conscious you know saying um more things about you know introspective thinking um along with i think like um trap called quest forms really with another group called the jungle brothers and de la soul um the jungle brothers being a more of a electronic house music vibe um q-tip um the uh producer and um probably like the main guy in Tribe Called Quest uh, has a sample or has a um, a feature on the first uh, Jungle Brothers record. But um, if we're talking about Tribe, um, I think they're really, really good because you have Q-Tip, uh, you have Fife Dog, um, Ali uh, Shahid Muhammad, and uh, Jerobi White all coming together. The main people in this group are Q-Tip and Fife Dog being the um, the rappers, um, Muhammad being the DJ, and uh Jehovah kind of stepping in sometimes when he feels like it when he's not doing when he's it. not saying exclamatory things that make him make <laughs> the record label want to kick him out of the band sure. basically <laughs> yes so um he's the the sometimes why if you listen to midnight marauders um so i really really like this group because uh, first of all, the sampling on, like, at least if we're going to start the first album, is completely, I think, different than where everybody else's heads were at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they have like um their a lot of the rhymes they're saying are just like a lot of fun stuff like the um the subject matter of the of the songs uh can be silly or uh irreverent to anything really that's important um I also liked how they sampled like um at least on the I mean on the first record there's a, a art rock sample um and then obviously the group would be more known for their innovative use of jazz sampling and um that kind of stuff but um yeah. I really love Q-Tip. I think he's he's probably my favorite rapper. He's got like a really mellow flow and vibe yeah. and um I really like Five Dog cuz uh, a lot of his raps are about being short and uh I relate. So, you know, <laughs> um like that's why I like I like um, you know, 5 foot, you know, tall dark and handsome, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um I just really like, you know. Yeah, I yeah. Tribe Called Quest is probably like the first hip hop group I really 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 fell in love with. I mean, I I think I can by. remember having a conversation with you on the phone. When you first got into a tribe called Quest, have you heard this like, new group? <laughs> well, I had these wa- young ba- these young boys from New York are really making moves. After after having like really not not really being into hip hop or exploring it at all, I'd watched uh, that Dave Chappelle special where he shouts off uh, uh, "Rest in Peace, Five Dog" at the oh, end. Sure. Um, and I went to like uh, streaming, and the first song I um, heard was uh, the first song off um, uh, "Low End Theory," um, which I can't think of the name now. Excursions. <laughs> Um, that dum 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 da dum 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 da dum dum dum, and I was instantly just completely taken, um, by um Q-Tip and that song. He just takes you on this. He starts off with this kind of flow, and he never really goes up, up or down in um, like the the excitement of his voice. It kind of just stays steady, and it's such a driving, forceful beat and song. Um, and I was taken ever since that. That whole record, I fell completely in love with, and yeah. I do have to. I have to make uh, a note. Uh, apologies to Droby White. I got you confused with Professor Griff from from Public Enemy. <laughs> I He's the one did. who said the anti-Semitic things. Droby White oh, yeah. just left the group because he didn't think he would have a huge career in a hip hop band. So no disrespect to Droby White. <laughs> All disrespect to Professor Griff <laughs> and his estate. What's up with What's up with the Public Enemy? Real fast. Uh, you're really losing members to say wacky shit. Well, yeah, but they lost. They lost Griff. I think that was like before it takes a nation of millions came out. He like did an interview where he was talking about like blacks are the real mo- are the real Jews and oh, like geez. Jewish media is controlling the money of the world. You know, like all this Re- crazy just stuff. went Nick Cannon on him, huh? Yeah, just went hard. Wasn't Mel- Nick Mel Cannon Gibson. talking with Professor Griff <laughs> during well, I that know. interview? I think he was. No, no, this was like 1989 <laughs> oh, or 1988. I'm, that, I'm, that I'm, oh, I'm not saying like yeah. that was when that happened. I'm saying like I think Nick Cannon was. <sighs> What, Nate Cannon said anti-Semitic stuff, too? Yeah, that was a couple uh, months ago, man. Oh, I didn't even hear about that. Well, Nate Cannon, who gives a fuck? He was yeah. on all that or whatever. Fucking big ear of corn, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. goodness me. Um, back to the Tribe Called Quest. They were, um, <laughs> they are one of the great hip-hop groups, uh, young kids, and they put out, like, their first three are some of the best ever, People's Instinct of Travels, Low End Theory, uh, Midnight Marauders. Midnight Marauders. Um, they have a great documentary called Beats, Rhythm, and Life or something. Yep. yep. Um, that came out maybe a decade ago. That's really worth watching. They had a great comeback album or like a like epilogue album. We got it from here, which came out maybe two years after Fife Dog died. 2016. Yeah. And they used a lot of the unreleased uh, recorded stuff that Fife Dog had put out. And that album actually 
is a very very good album solid record yeah holds up to the, i i would say it holds yeah. up to like their first three it's a it's a great yeah. record i like it and they feature a lot of great artists on right. that record um they're a group um musical stylistically going um very heavy on the like we rap like this and we rap like that a da ba da ba da ba da ba da da ba da 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 everything's straight beat mm-hmm. on the start on the one um there's um I don't know if there's any cursing really, I I think we got from here as some cursing but those first couple ones in the early nineties when like none. when it was huge you know N W A et cetera et cetera, they had like no everything was clean yeah purposely clean like maybe to reach more people but maybe because they just didn't want to resort to cursing to share their views and I don't know and I also like another thing you said like there was no cursing they also were bringing the like afrocentric right. uh vibe like super super hard yeah. and i really love that too because they were kind of representing themselves in in a way that like um black artists had done in the 70s mm-hmm. and i was like really appreciate i really appreciate see that in hip hop and like bring that message in yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and also too to like the you like the production like low end theory is still one of like the lowest best bass records ever yeah. ever ever it's so so good yeah and a lot of, and with upright bass on that record too which right. is also like right. amazing so bringing like you know black music from the 50s and bringing it into what you're doing now and having it work just you know yeah completely great one of you know Q-Tip's such a great producer so mm. Um, if you have one choice of a record, what would that be? Low End Theory, the second sure. one. Yeah. It's, it's too classic, too I cool think, for school. I think Kanye West said that he, when he heard the Low End Theory that day, he went and bought a sampler. <laughs> no way, huh? Yeah, he's like, oh, I went out and bought an, uh, a Kai MPC sampler that day because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. There you go. Great record. Last group I'm going to go with, I'm going to go De La Soul, another group of the Daisy Age. Um, um, De La Soul is another group that is quite a lot like Tripod Quest. Um, As I catch my breath and do my, get my notes up here, or my Wikipedia page, I get my dates, (laughs) to be honest. All right, so De La Soul, New York City, um, again, conscious rap more um there were actually like bringing in i mean even with their artwork like way, uh, pretty psychedelic um loud colors um again talking about some serious stuff but also mixing in like a lot of fun um and so let's get in with like the music their first album three feet high and rising um named after uh the johnny cash song five feet high and rising um there's a lot of good political stuff on here um and a lot of like really i like the sampling on this record um the big hit me myself and i um has some of like the greatest dj scratching ever um it's super 80s um but also i feel like still works in a contemporary fashion um and again I like these uh, kind of groups because they can talk about serious stuff, but in the next breath, it's pretty lighthearted and um, a positive, like we're moving in a good direction kind of thing. And that's why I think I'm more into um, like conscious hip hop and Daisy Age and um, that kind of 
stuff, and I guess it kind of worked out to bring you three of them in the same thing. Um, so I'm going to say, like, the first three De La Soul records are where it's at, uh, Prince Paul production with De La Soul. Um, and I just think it's, um, I don't know. Can you guys help out? Uh, take what do you get when you mix the BC Boys with A Tribe Called Quest? You. you get De La Soul. Thank you. Um, there you go. Yeah, fun, loving, uh, very, like, kid-friendly and, like, purposely, like, kind of, like, uh, immature child's view of the world. And, like you said, a lot of, like, the hand-drawn type of, um, like, marketing and imaging and stuff. And, you know, big, big baggy clothes with crazy colors and patches and kind of, like, they were like a fat Albert's gang of hip hop kind of dudes. They got along with everybody. They featured everybody. Skits on the records. Yeah. Like, isn't what uh what album is it that like has pictures of every person who was in hip hop at the time? That's Midnight Marauders. Midnight. Oh no. By... Okay, so that's Tribe Called Quest. But, but they're on the yeah. They're one of the people featured. Yeah. Same thing. Like yeah. uh, the idea of like the I mean at least the groups I'm talking about are they all were like working together to bring hip-hop forward before like the east coast west coast split happens yeah um and like you're right like they you know on all each other's records um i also love de la soul because they had like skits on their records they do like a lot of like the really funny skits and um especially like three is the magic number like the skit before that um on the first record but um (laughs) so i'm pretty hard on the first records probably their best i mean my favorite three feet high and rising um De La Soul's Dead. And then Balloon Mind State. Yeah. It, I like De La Soul's Dead maybe the most, but that's my personal. Right. I mean, the first three records are kind of all where it's at, but like the same with Tribe Called Quest. I'd say like the first one, though, for me is yeah. probably that's more the fun. Pig. Also, notably, um, they have some singles on streaming, like singles from the last Yeah, five I was just going to say that, yeah. A big fight to have their rights and to not be streaming because they don't feel like they'll get paid enough. So I think you can still buy their stuff on their website. Yeah. At one point, like a decade ago, or maybe even longer, if I'm being honest, when I was in college, so probably 15 years ago, they did like this special, like week long, like anything you want to download off our label, off our website is free for grabs. So I download like every single album, every single outtake, B side, et cetera. Yep. Um, which I still have somewhere on a, <laughs> on a hard, hard drive. drive. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can't, Maybe I had to buy a CD copy, yeah. and I paid twenty five dollars for this CD copy of Three Feet High. Yeah, from what I understand, in their contract, should have bought the cassette. <laughs> there's a, yeah. there's a, there's I have a, a copy. Box. True to nineteen ninety two. There's a copy sitting in the Telegraph of all first uh, the first three Dayla albums on cassette. But yeah. oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, there's something in the contract. I think with it's it's in regards to like the sampling that was used on those records oh, yeah. and the contract said that it was only legal for them to sell the music uh through physical copies mm-hmm. rather than any other version cuz they'll just like, go broke trying to get the clearance for the samples right. to put it on streaming right that right right and i they i saw something where they were talking about it in like i think 2019 to try to get everything back on streaming but some that deal some, went that deal went through with tommy boy records tommy boy records wants too much money and they won't give over all the yeah i think it was something like they would only be making like 10 percent. oh yeah uh i doubt even that much yeah right yeah. but they were not into that idea so that's why i think the idea got rejected but uh, all 
all of the first three albums are on YouTube in their full um, oh. capacities. If you'd like to check those out, because oh, I made, there you go. Cause I, I made, was gonna say, like, what I made wear? sure yeah. to to look for where you could listen to them before. Yeah, yeah they're, like they're a, all on YouTube. They're like a sillier tribe called Quest, and yeah. they're a group that like nobody broke out afterwards and became a solo artist. Nope. M- like most of these groups we're talking about, those dudes were like nineteen years old, and then. They put out stuff over the last 30 years, but their peak was, like, between 19 and 24 years old. Yeah. So, like, young kids. Um, yeah. De La yeah. Soul. De La Soul. That's what I got. All right. Well, we'll finish off with mine. Uh, the rap now is going to maybe take a little bit of a darker turn <laughs> <laughs> as we get into something maybe a little bit more hardcore rap themed. Uh, the first, I mean, the first group I'm going to pick right out the gate has got to be Wu-Tang Clan. Okay. Um, Killer Bees. Killer Bees. The, uh, the, the album recommendation, I'm just going to like just say it right from the jump. It's uh, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Uh, Staten Island group made up of what, RZA, oh, GZA, Old Dirty oh, Bastard, Method cheating. Man, Raekwon, <laughs> Ghostface Kill. Of course I am. Inspect the Deck, You Got, and Master Killer 9. And then Capadonna would later become an official member. I read that verbatim from Wikipedia, so Master you're welcome. Kill- Master Killer is the underrated one. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, is. people... He's pe- not the star, but he's underrated. People, Yeah, people, you know, I, I feel like people really kind of like... Um, uh, have their one member, you know. Who's I've had this conversation. One, if you said today, I know my one. I don't even have to think about it. Who? Ghostface Killer. Oh, Ghostface Killer. Yeah, man. Like, you guys are gonna yeah. hate I like Luke's is Inspector Deck. ODB. Of course it is. Of course. I knew it would be yours. ODB. See, I don't. I don't. I don't. I like. I mean, I like him. Um. Ghostface right. is the one who's put out consistently great yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Raekwon guy, too. Sure. Like, I do love me some yeah. Raekwon. And Method Man, too, because Method Man had some, like, really... Yeah. Like, his... Yeah, his 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 bars <laughs> are really good. And then he also collaborated with Biggie at one point. Uh, and they say that he was, like, the only MC to feature on a Biggie track that could, like, keep up with Biggie the uh, whole time. Shaquille O'Neal did a great track with Biggie, okay? <laughs> Off of his first album, I think it was called Shaq Fu. It's <laughs> 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 a great song, though. I forget yeah, what it's called. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I just, I love Wu Tang. I love especially the first record. I mean, uh, Wu Tang Forever was the follow up, which I also absolutely love that right. album, too. That's that. where they have the flag and they're all. Like Iwo Jima, right? I think, uh, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Wu Tang Forever, yeah. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven. It came out. That record, I. Uh, that's not the, my record choice, but that record itself is like the thing where I was like, oh, Wu Tang's a thing, and especially ninety seven. So how old was I? I wasn't even ten years old. Oh no, yet. that's that's. Uh, I'm thinking of the W. Anyways, oh, the continue. W. Wu Tang Forever is just like the, the, the silver. It looks yeah. very nineties. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just just the, you know because you have so many of these personalities kind of involved you get like all these different perspectives also being that they're a staten island new york hip-hop group they don't really have that sort of like iconic like brooklyn sound or harlem sound or queens sound that you like queens you'd get like nas and then i'm i can't remember i can't remember where mob deep is from i think mob deep is from queensbridge queens right so um so wu-tang had like this different flavor and I mean, are, we're just a like grimier flavor. Gri- yeah, <laughs> so grimy, and that's the thing is 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 yeah. uh, Riz's beats like they're not for everyone. They're definitely not for everyone because they're super lo-fi. They're really, really at times very, very obscure, 
um, and they pepper in those, uh, you know, tracks from Kung Fu, you know, the Game of Death. That's like a song. Like like, you horror, must think first before it's you It's like vote. horror movie soundtracks mixed with Kung Fu soundtracks right. mixed with, like... And, yeah. like, those corny, like, uh, swords unsheathing sounds. Like, yeah. shwish, 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 I love those. <laughs> you know, yeah. And it's like, and there's, there's all you there's. You dare challenge my Wu Tang <laughs> style. Rom, I'll give it to you. But, yeah, it, it's, yeah. I, I love that. I love the rawness. I love the, the whole vibe, especially of the record Enter the Wu Tang. It's like 36 Chambers. Yeah, Came out 93. They so took it's like they took like shit. the 70s um uh black exploitation. Yeah, black exploitation yeah. films and then they took like the kung fu thing that was huge in 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 black culture but really I guess did not translate into white culture as much at all. Right, right. And really cuz I mean you would listen to interviews with these guys even like um like um you hear like comedians talk like um like Joey Diaz when he talks about like you oh, know, when Bruce Lee first came yeah, out? Yeah, like, like seeing these people going to those movies and being, like, Cuban and an immigrant and seeing somebody that wasn't white kicking ass, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, like, uh, that whole, like, aspect to, like, Wu-Tang, like, being, like, a, um, you know, like, yeah. a, like a group of, like, hip-hop monks from Staten Island that were gonna, like, you know what I mean? Right, like, and that's the thing. And, and They were and, like, we're this kind of gang, where that was another kind of Yeah, you know, and I, I think know. at this point in hip-hop as well, you know, we're coming out of... Uh, you know the early hip hop groups, the yeah. '80s hip hop generation and stuff, and things now are, you know, like the 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 introduction of crack into the neighborhoods and all that stuff. Like everything is kind of like getting really out of hand. Like stuff is really starting to unravel. People are really depending on like getting involved in selling drugs just to like like live and eat and and you know survive and shit. So, but I think there's also like this sort of like. It's like it's scary. That's the thing about this record that to me it just sounds so scary and so raw and so real and like oh my god, like it's that. There's times where you're like, holy shit, like you can tell that they sold drugs to buy the shit they were making the album to make. Well, right, yeah. right. That's what I mean. It's like in, these it's guys intense. are these guys are a... legit. They're not, you know, there's no posing. And half of the rapping is like it sounds like this because they're rapping on twenty dollar microphones in someone's basement, and right. it's like sounds like kind of like garbage but it sounds very honest and yeah and, I like and rizza just as a producer is just he's one of my one of my favorites again not an acquired taste i feel like for the style of beats that he makes but i i have acquired the taste it's this, uh, it, the beats are like disjointed right yeah everything they're like off-putting and kind of make you feel a little bit uncomfortable at queasy, times queasy seasick they don't add up in time like the yeah he the, didn't the, read the manual yeah. nothing's quantized it's all yeah. like it's all it's all put in manually. Like he's not actually using the machine to make it machine like. Yes, it's, right. it's uh like one beat will kind of drop out and like another one will just come back in. That's like relatively the same tempo. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's cool because they also have like you know you were saying with De La Soul like there's also like little skits where the guy calls him to the radio station and he's just right. like well, you know what do you want to hear Wu Tang again and again baby you know mm -hmm. like he so it's cool and every personality you have like the serious personalities versus right. the more sort of like cerebral like method man where everything's kind of more methodical and uh and then od yeah <laughs> and then odb just shouting madness yeah. half the time but odb too like but that's the thing is like the flow like they all had such like different types of flows that like it all kind of like all the interplay and everything just worked so well and just really solidifying the east coast rap style that is like kind of like the classic east hard, coast hard 
yeah like the classic east coast style that you would have that's the contrast to like that west coast like death row records kind of a vibe you know what i mean like east coast rap sounds like it's the winter right <laughs> you know what i mean where west coast rap sounds like you're kind of on the beach right or like you know what i mean and kind of like a more of a hot climate well, this this was mm, at least two if not closer to four years after west coast rap was very predominantly gangster rap yeah uh and east coast didn't have the dark grimy thing and then this really brought it yeah, yeah. and this brought it to it yeah so 36 chambers mm-hmm. of course i mean you know there's there's <laughs> there's titles that i can't really say but there's you know they're pro- all classic but i mean protect your neck is obviously amazing yeah. bring the ruckus i mean i like the art of check the ruckus. art of check uh chess boxing right oh That's the, the mystery of mystery check- of chess yeah, boxing. chess boxing my favorite is track two Yes, track two. Shame on a blank. Yes. Um, track two. Track two. Yeah, and and even and even here it's cool because it 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 uh, gives the the samples that track. I mean, there's there's Thelonious Monks in there. You know, you get some Jackson Five um, samples. You get some Otis Redding samples. You get some Gladys Knight and the Pip samples. Before we move on, you caught that Sly Johnson sample because yep. I was listening to that Sly Johnson record, and Different you song. caught that sample out of midair while I was listening to that song one time. You went. This is Wu Tang. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Dum, bum, oh sure, yeah. Da, 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 da. Right. That horn line, Mike caught it out. That was a great one. Yeah. Good job, Mike. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, leaning into a similar group that also originates from New York, but instead of Staten Island, we're now going to the borough of Queens in Queensbridge. That you have Havoc and Prodigy making up Mob Deep. They're another one too. You know the the record. Uh, that I chose for this one is their second record, 95, The Infamous. So this is, what, three or two years after uh, Enter the Wu-Tang comes out. They look like just a couple of friendly gentlemen on the cover, don't they? Yeah, right. Just a couple of good neighbors. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, man. I, I mean, and, you know, you have, um, I, I want to say Premier was worked in the production of this. Oh, as well as Q-Tip. Actually, Q-Tip, that's right. Q-Tip was the one who gave Mob Deep their... Uh, they're shot anyway because they were like trying to like hand out cassettes and q-tip was the one who was like all right yeah let's give it a listen and um and yeah so i mean what i mean what's not to love that this is for me my like some of my most favorite beats especially the ones coming from dj premiere same thing very dark very Mm -hmm. brooding Mm -hmm. and also very much just kind of like I don't care how much money I get. I'm never leaving the projects. I'm right, going to sling crack right. till the day I die. Like, it's like, you're like, Jesus Christ, these guys are fucking serious. Like, it's kind of, it's, pre- it's kind of nihilistic music. Yeah. It's, it's pretty harrowing. It's pretty. Well, right, right. Yeah. And it gives you, yeah. I think it kind of gives you a window into like, I, like sometimes I listen to the lyrics and I'm just like, oh my God, man, I would just be a ball of anxiety the entire time. Cause like, this sounds so fucking scary to me. Like just yeah. people just like shooting in your neighborhood every night and like and but that that was the reality you know yeah. what i mean that was the reality dude and then just having to do what they nihilistic had to do just to... music i like that uh yeah. phrase that's that's a great phrase i'm gonna use that yeah yeah because it's basically just saying kind of like you know we give ourselves to this life that we have to live in order to just like get by um in terms of the the songs on the album it's a pretty lengthy album i think it's yeah 21 cd yeah. days or well 16 CD it's 16 days. tracks with the 25th anniversary expanded edition it's expanded to 21 tracks but shook one's part two 
That's probably the most iconic track on the record. That's the one that Eminem freestyles over in uh, 8 Mile. Uh, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks, you know. That's the famous line. Uh, Survival of the Fittest is probably the other um, song on that album that I absolutely love. Same thing, like this really, really dark and kind of like brooding like piano sample that gets thrown in there. Um, everything just that's feels what it is like, it's all the piano samples that yeah. make you just like make your skin crawl yeah because <laughs> it sounds like it's on this old like dingy <laughs> piano ding, too ding, there's something ding. uneasy about just yeah. like raw drums and then like just just piano like a dark alley yeah but i think piano right playing. but i think mission accomplished you yeah. know what i mean like in in the way in in the atmospheric quality of this mm-hmm. album it for me it just completely delivers i mean like yeah eye for an eye your beef is mine Nas and raekwon's on there uh, right back at you. That's got Ghostface, Killer, Raekwon, and Big Noid. Um, uh, Drink away the pain. That big one warm. of the features. <laughs> big, big, <laughs> shout out to Big Noid. Big, no, big, no one shout out Big Noid. In a big worm. Years. Big worm. Big perm. <laughs> shout out to Chris Tucker and Ice Cube for Friday, which um, was another great film. Yeah. Anyway, so Mob Deep. Yeah. The infamous, uh, just just incredible, and I mean their beats are so good that you that you know like I, I mean I, I've gone to record stores and they have just instrumentals mm. of the beats because they're just so good, mm. they're just so good, and then to round up my three, I'm gonna go to, uh, um, Cleveland, Ohio, which is kind of out of left field, oh. and I'm gonna talk about the thuggish ruggish bone. <laughs> My, what was his uncle's name? Which one? In that song, in the crossroads. Oh, oh, I can't remember. Can we get a lyric look up for it? For I got look? it. I got it. Uh, the members are <clears throat> Busy Bone, Wish Bone, Lazy Bone, Crazy Bone, and Flesh and Bone. Flesh and Bone. I love Bone. They're one of those groups for me that, like, when oh. I think of. Have you said their full name yet? Bone Thugs Bone and Thugs Harmony. Harmony. Okay. Bone Thugs and Harmony. Bone Thugs and Harmony. What about a chicken McNugget? Uncle Charlie. <laughs> oh, Uncle Charlie. Charlie. Easy C's, Uncle Charlie. Yeah. Uh, the record, it's uh, 1999 Eternal. E, 1990, 1999 Eternal. Good Lord, I can't speak. Uh, first of the month is probably the biggest. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the well, first the Crossroads of the month. is the get big up, one. Get up. Well, yeah, that was that was Different on. Album. Yeah. No, that was on the same album. Oh, okay. Crossroads and First of the Month are on the same one. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, but the Crossroads is probably the that that reached that reached number one on both the Hot 100 and Hot Rap Tracks charts. Um, uh, the Art of War that is one that was probably more in rotation than this one. At some point, I had a greatest hits though. I think they had like one sort of double CD release that was like the greatest hits. Um, but it was, it's funny cause it's like, you know, we, we grew up in just like a little, you know, kind of white town. <laughs> oh, kind of white. Kinda, <laughs> Definitely. Just kind of super. The collection, the collection. Thank you. Uh, and, um, it was, it's just, it was, it, it it's funny because, it, it's just really funny to see like suburban white chicks singing it's the first of the month like they know what the fuck that song is even about you know what i mean like but it's also a testament in the way of saying like hey this is a group that had really great commercial success too like they you know what i mean like they're they're kind of bringing these like more serious themes 
but the way it's delivered and like with the singing and that's like why they were the fat yeah. and like, like the crazy fast and everything that's yeah. everything's <laughs> so, half sung you know like that's why they yeah that's why they were different who was my favorite one i can't remember which one does busy bone he's like it's been a while since i think that's crazy bone um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, they mixed they mix, they mix straight up '90s R&B with rap music. Yeah, because they, they were also, singing more than rapping. It. Right, but they 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 work with Tupac, Biggie, Easy E, Big Pun. Right, and they also like had uh, No Surrender that song. No Surrender, and it had like they they had like guns cocking and shooting off in songs yeah, and stuff yeah. too. So it's just like and it, and it's interesting because it's it's an early '90s hip hop group. That was not from the West Coast or right. the East Coast. Right. They were from Cleveland, Ohio, representing Cleveland. So, like, I wanted to throw them in there as well just just for that. Because, you know, when the history books are written, you kind of have, like, West Coast rap, New York rap, and then you have, right. like, the Southern sound style rap. But they're, you know, just kind of how, like, Eminem and D12 were Detroit. Then you have Bone Thugs, who's coming from Cleveland, Ohio. You know, so these are just alternatives in terms of sound and stuff but i would say if anything if you listen to bone thugs they stylistically i think they definitely lean more new york than they lean kind of anywhere else you know what i mean uh maybe they remind me a lot of the of the what you call it yeah the g-funk type of style because it is a lot of that singing that kind of sounds like that kind of vocoder almost singing sometimes because it is so harmonized and um. Yeah, they are a group though that like white girls love Bone Thugs and Harmony. Yeah, I know. I well, know. it's so funny. It was it's almost. So funny. It's almost like. See, this is. They're like, what if Casey and JoJo murder people? Well, <laughs> that's like that's basically what they sounded like. Well, and I'm gonna miss everybody. And I'm gonna miss everybody. That's that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say it's almost like um like but they were at like they were like, we're making a lot of money in this hip hop game, but like what if what if. <laughs> When you could sing, and yeah. then like that's bone thugs. And they all sang, yeah. But the, but they're very talented singers. Uh, uh, they're you know it's they have their own sound, right? They have their own style, yeah. and especially when it's mixed with the uh, super super fast right. rapping and all that stuff too. Um, I mean, I remember we I remember having arguments with people about who was the fastest rapper, and you know I mean the guys in Bone were definitely up there. Twista wasn't he another one yeah. that was like crazy fast, you know? Yeah. So um so yeah um. So for the record, uh, 1995's uh, E99, E99 Eternal, Eternal, yeah. Um, that's probably the one that I like. Thank you for your rap groups, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So let's, let's, let's Let me round it out. Yeah. Jeffrey brought to the table the Beastie Boys. He suggested, I believe, Paul's Boutique as the record. Um I can't remember any of them. Let me round it out. I had them all. I can't remember everybody. I had them all. I had them all. Outcast. Outcast. Equemini. Public enemies. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Michael, what did you have? You don't have to put two mics on me. <laughs> oh, this is nice. Double I'm on like mic'd. stereo. Um, oh, I'm on the spot now. Okay. No, Wu- <laughs> Michael's Wu-Tang. was Wu-Tang. Enter 30. the Wu-Tang. They're toy- toy- six chambers. Um... <laughs> We have gone fully off the rails. Mob, We're trying to wrap this up. Yeah, <laughs> Mob Deep's "The Infamous" and Bone Thugs and Harmony with their record E ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine Eternal. Mine was Boogie Down Productions, 
Um, oh man, what the heck is the first album? Criminally <laughs> minded. I've got, I got. We were doing, we were going too long. I got oh mush brain now. Yeah. Uh, criminally minded. Um, Tripod Quest with Low End Theory and De La Soul with Three Feet High and Rising. Yep. So and tune, in, tune in next week. We're going to be talking about hip-hop some more with Devin. Uh, we're going to be talking about a few of his favorite hip-hop albums over the last 15, 20 years, yep. um, which we're all going to listen to this week and reacquaint ourselves with the ones that we've heard and listen to some new ones that we haven't heard yet. All yeah. Right. So until next time. Throw some coal in that fire, boys. Let's get it going. Oh, here we go. <laughs> This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information, and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.